Hey, it's Carmen. Welcome to another episode of Off Air with Carmen. Today, you're going to meet Sarah Faulkner. And I just randomly met Sarah years ago at a Christmas market. And I've gotten to know Sarah and gotten to know her story. And here's what I want you to know about Sarah. Like so many of us, lots of times we feel like our story is going to be one thing. And then it ends up being something completely different. Sarah thought her story was struggles that she had with her family and her son in particular. And then come to find out, Sarah not only survives one brain aneurysm, yes, brain aneurysm, but two. I think her story is really going to inspire you today. So lean in and listen to Sarah's story. Sarah Faulkner. It's so nice. I should say it's so nice to see you again because I actually have met you. Yes. And we're going to start there. I don't even know what year it was. I feel like it was the first year that Oxford Exchange opened and it was a Christmas bazaar. I guess that's what you call it. It It's a Christmas show. Right. It was probably in October or November. I think it was December of 2016. Really? I think. Okay. So December, I went to the Oxford Exchange. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Oxford Exchange, it's a restaurant, a mercantile. There's a coffee bar there. I mean, it's just like a gathering place. There's a lot of special events that happen there. And they were having a, just a, a, I call them a bazaar. Is that a holiday gift bazaar? Okay, there you go. And so I walked upstairs and I was looking at all the booths and I am from Alabama. I am a Southern girl. I am a Pearl girl. I am the mom who taught both of her daughters not to leave the house without your pearls on. (laughs) Um, I do have my gold hoops on today, but five out of seven days, six out of seven days, I'm wearing my pearls. So I saw your booth. And I just remember how beautiful looking at you and going, oh, she's so pretty. You just, your booth, your whole booth was beautiful. Thank you. And so I walked over and I was looking at the pearl display, grabbed a card, Mm -hmm. and I think I emailed you later or called or it was for my birthday. You emailed me later. You said my birthday's coming up and I'd like to get some of your pearls for my birthday. Yeah, I think I got a pearl bracelet or something like that. So that's how I remember meeting you. And so then I think when you sent me the pearls... Did you write me in the in the card? I think you wrote me that you'd actually called the morning show one morning. I had called the so morning tell, show. Yeah, tell that story because I didn't know that. When I ordered the pearls, I didn't know that. So when you came up and met me at my booth yeah. and took my card, obviously we didn't discuss what your name was and sure. I didn't know who you were. But when I got your email and uh-huh. the signature said the Joy FM, uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> Carmen Brown. And I wonder if she remembers that when I called into the radio sta- station, mm-hmm. I broke down crying and I couldn't be ushered off fast enough. What <laughs> what had happened was yeah, I had I had just started my pearl business. Okay. The pearl business was to share my testimony and my story of God mm-hmm. because I was having trouble expressing it in words. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the the beauty born from struggle with the pearl mm. said what I couldn't say. That morning, I had dropped my daughter off at school. My friend called me and said, mm-hmm. you got to call the Joy FM. They're talking about pearls. You got to call. And so I paced around the house a little bit and gathered my composure and I made the phone call and I got right in. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so then they said that you're on air and you were laughing and Dave and Bill were laughing. Uh-huh. Everyone was laughing and you asked me a question and I just started like rah, 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 crying and they were like, okay, well, 
<laughs> so did we talk to you? You talked to me for a minute. Okay. But I think you asked me my story or yeah. something, and I just— I, You just broke down. I just couldn't even okay. talk. Well, this is this is God giving us an opportunity. So this is a, this yeah. is a, a new chance. I've come a long way since yeah. that day, and I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so. happy that you're Thank here. Thank you. So off-air, a couple—I guess this is off-air with Carmen, but before we started recording— you said a couple of minutes ago in my office, you said we have a mutual friend. Yes. Janice LaBush. Yes. Janice. I, oh my goodness. Janice yes. and I went to church together for years. So tell me about Janice in your life. Okay. So I moved to Florida in March of 1998. Okay. I was a single mom. My son was 13, 14 months old. And I started him in swimming lessons. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say I believed in God, but I wasn't one of those Jesus people. Mm -hmm. I thought Jesus people were kind of weird mm -hmm. and wacky. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I was I was going through a depression. I, was, mm -hmm. I had been rejected. I was a single mom. I was trying to start over, but I was really just, I was depressed. Yeah. And so every week I would go to my son's swim lessons and sit on the side of the pool and there was this woman, there was this other mother, and she would always come up to me with a smile on her face, mm. and she would always be warm and welcoming and try to talk to me. And I couldn't understand why she was trying to talk to me. I really just wanted her to leave me alone, hmm. but she wouldn't. Hmm. And every week she was talking to me, and then soon we became friends, and then she started talking about things that were going on in her church, and I got interested. I kept looking at her, and I didn't know what it was about her that drew me to her, but she just had this light and this smile that mm. made me want what she had. Wow. And she started bringing me CDs from her church, so I would listen to the sermon, and then I started going to her church, and then I was baptized, and she was there, and she gave me my first Bible. And wow. Janice. So Janice, yeah. Oh Janice. my And Janice has a story of her own. Yes. I mean, Janice, I can remember um, I just had my second daughter, Abby, and Janice had, she had a miscarriage and it was just a devastating time. And I can remember going and taking a meal to Janice and, and God has given Janice a story too. She is a special, special woman. So she's walked through heartbreak yeah. and the Lord has carried her through as well. So you moved to Florida. Yes. And you were a single mom. Yes. So tell me the makeup of your family. You are married now. I'm married now. Okay. I met my husband now soon after I came to Florida. Mm-hmm. And then we married a few years after we met. We had a daughter together mm -hmm. a few years after that. Okay. So the four of us were here, mm -hmm. and all my family was up north, and all my husband's family is out west. So we were kind of here on our own. Okay. And so your family, you guys just celebrated 18 years? 18 years. Okay. So you've got your pearl business going. When you emailed me and I read, you know, part of your blog, it started with your son. I told you that I thought that Jesus people were freaky uh -huh. and weird and that I believed in God. I hit a point when my son was 13 years old where he rebelled. Mm -hmm. He rebelled very violently mm. and it broke me. Mm. It just, it completely shattered me. And 
it was at that point that I surrendered. I would take my daughter to preschool and then I would come home and kind of wail on the floor like a dying animal. And my neighbor came over and invited me to a Bible study. Mm. The Bible study was called Jonah. My son's name was Jonah. Wow. And it was a last ditch resort on my part to go to this Bible study. I just, I was so devastated. I was, I felt like I was demolished and I just went because I felt like I had no other hope. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, it took a long time. It took about a year, but I learned things that I had never heard before. Sure. Like, for I know the plans I have for you, sis, Lord, yeah. You know, it just had never occurred to me that I was loved and that plans for me were good. And so when I started to recognize God's Word and put faith in God's Word, and I had the people in that Bible study praying around me, I started to see changes in my life. Mm. And about a year went by, and during that time, my dad had gone into remission from cancer I had had a healing with my son. My Mm -hmm. family had come together. My husband and I had come together, and I was blown away. I was just like, oh, my God, like this God thing is real. I couldn't believe the changes and the joy and the beauty and the strength that had been brought into my life. And so I tried—I really wanted to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. I really wanted people who were like me— you know, maybe believed yeah. in God, yeah. but not so much in Jesus so wasn't, or, yeah. or, you know. It wasn't a daily thing. Yeah, it wasn't a daily thing. Yeah. I just wanted them to see that if they could surrender and if they did trust Jesus, that they would see amazing things happen in their life. Mm-hmm. I tried to write a book. I tried to write a blog. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out and I couldn't express it. Mm-hmm. But one day my daughter... She was rifling through my jewelry box, and she found my grandmother's pearls, Mm -hmm. and she was asking about pearl jewelry and how they were made. It turned into a whole science lesson. (laughs) But then she said, Mama, pearls are like people. Bad things make them prettier on the inside. Wow. And I was like, that's That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make pearl jewelry. So my background was in civil engineering and construction management. <laughs> I was I didn't really wear makeup. Yeah. I wasn't into like I didn't know retail or fashion or anything like that, but I yeah. just decided that I was going to make pearl jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I taught myself. It was a lot of trial and error, mm-hmm. but I opened my business on Mother's Day of 2014. By the time I'd met you, it was mm-hmm. a couple years later. A couple later years later. At, Oxford Exchange. Okay. So you think things are just humming along? So at that point, I was like, I am on fire for God. I am doing this important work. And I put all my time and focus and energy into that. Mm -hmm. Which is so normal. You know, I think, and we were talking about this a little bit before we got started too, I think I think a lot of believers, this can happen to us. Like for me, I grew up with an alcoholic father, and I felt like that was my testimony. Like I I literally thought that in, all the way through my high school, because I, I had accepted Jesus when I was 11 years old, but I felt like, okay, my testimony is that my dad was an alcoholic. I've lived my testimony. Mm-hmm. And then I get pregnant at 19, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is my testimony. And then finally it hits me. Years later, it's like, wait, 
we don't stop living the trials. Exactly. You know, we don't. Exactly. So you had probably gotten into that season where it's like, okay, I've lived my hard thing. I had, yeah. I couldn't imagine living anything harder, harder than I had gone through. Yes. And I felt like I had found the way mm-hmm. and I was expecting smooth sailing. Yep. From there on out. Yep. And I was just pouring my heart into my work. And then life happened again. I felt like I had a story to share. And I kept trying to talk to people about it, but every time I would talk about it, I would cry. Mm. And so I wouldn't be able to get the words out. Mm -hmm. And so I just really focused on the pearls. But then there was a part of me that thought, I'm okay, but my son is not. Mm. It felt like he was hiding something. It felt like he was struggling. I thought he was depressed. But I just kept on trucking. Mm -hmm. I kept on trucking. I kept on doing my thing. Things were falling down around me as I was trucking along. So bring us, because there's always that moment when, you know, things are not right, but there's always that cataclysmic moment where you're like, okay, reality stops everything. Take us to that moment with your son. So the cataclysmic moment, I had known something was wrong for a long time. Like I said, I thought he was depressed or Mm -hmm. lost or something. Mother's Day had come and gone. I hadn't heard from him. Mm. He's 20 years old at this point. he's not at home. He's living on his own. He's living out of state. He's in Vermont. So Mother's Day came and went. I didn't hear from him. My birthday in July came and went, and I didn't hear from him. And are you trying to reach out to him? I'm trying, You're to, trying to get a hold I'm of trying him. to do everything. So I'm emailing right. him. Yeah. I'm calling him. I'm texting him. I am sending him packages. Mm. I am like, I'm just hammering him mm-hmm. every way, just trying to get his attention. Mm. I think in May or something, he had said that he wanted to do something together for my birthday. Mm. So I just wanted to connect with him. And I wasn't hearing back from him at all. And I remember waking up the day after my birthday and thinking, okay, like I can't keep chasing him. It hurts too much. He keeps, he keeps shutting me out. He doesn't want to be part of this family. You know, I've been reaching out to him for so long, but it hurts so much. I need to just let him go. Mm. And, and so I decided to let him go. The next morning I woke up and I was never really a person to open the Bible and just start reading I would see words that I couldn't pronounce and I would just like, you know, what does this (laughs) have to do with me and how does this work? And so I opened up the Bible and I still don't know what I read, but it was about God's wrath Mm. and devastation and Mm. horror and him just... Anyway, I, I closed the book. I snapped it shut and I was terrified and I was thinking, oh my God, what have I done? And I was racking my brain trying to figure out what I could have done and why, why God would have me read such a thing. And then a couple hours later, I got a phone call, and I knew why. Hmm. I knew why I had read that. The voicemail from the jail counselor out of state said, we have your son. Mm. They said, this is Lackawanna County Prison in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and we have your son. Mm. And so when I called back, she explained to me that he had been at a music festival or something, that he had been picked up, he'd been arrested, and that he was so high he wasn't allowed to make a phone call. Mm. I just hung up the phone and my world crumbled. Crumbled. Mm. It crumbled. Yeah. It absolutely crumbled. Mm. The first thing I thought was my life is over. His life is over. Our lives are over. We're just going to lose everything. We're mm-hmm. going to lose. We're going to lose all of our friends. We're going to lose everything because everyone knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone knows that you know 
drug addiction and this is the end. Like there's just no recovering. My my family is filled with addiction. Mm-hmm. I have two uncles that have committed suicide. Mm. It was a fear and a wound that I had been running from my whole life. And I had dedicated myself to making sure wouldn't happen in my family. And, now it's and I thought that mm-hmm. it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I thought that we were protected. Yeah. And Satan loves to pounce. Yeah. He loves to pounce in that very moment. It's yeah. like, okay, you thought you thought if you love the Lord, yeah, that this would not happen and it has. Yeah. So what did you do after that? When were you able to talk to your son or did you fly there? Like what 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 did those weeks, days and weeks look like after you got the phone call that no parent wants to get? Over the period of a next the next few days, I went through in my mind how I was going to lose everything and how upset I was at God because mm. I felt like I had I had been a champion for him and right. I was so upset that he did this for me to us and mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how anybody was going to want to listen to what I had to say mm. if my kid was a drug addict. Mm. You know, like, hey, mm-hmm. follow me. I'm on Instagram and I'm making pearls. And if you're lucky, your kid can be a drug addict too. Mm. I just— I hate that. That's uh, the tapes. Those are the tapes. Those are the tapes. That and he rolls in your head and we sit there and slurp up the lies with the spoon. So in my head, I was losing everything. Mm-hmm. And then— And I lost God. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Mm. then I kind of wheeled myself back and I said, I can't lose God too. Mm -hmm. And you didn't lose him. That's the thing about God. You didn't lose him. I didn't lose him, but I just decided. We turn our backs. He's still there. I had had a mustard seed. Mm -hmm. I had a mustard seed left of faith. And luckily, that's all we need. And luckily, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, what was it like? Because we're going to get to the good part with your son. Yeah. So, at some point, there had to be a—y'all had to meet, you had to talk, you had to, like, what did that look like? I mean, I, I, I picture the first time you're seeing him as a as a mom just pleading with him for his life. I mean, at some point there had to be that pivot. I think God was really working in my life that week mm-hmm. because I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And he was far away. Mm-hmm. We were in Tampa, Florida. He was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. His dad was away on business in Atlanta, Mm. and we couldn't talk to him. Mm. I didn't know exactly what to do. I didn't know. I didn't feel like I should run up and bail him out. Yeah. I wanted him to sit with what he had done. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he was on suicide watch. Mm. He was in a camera cell, and he wasn't advocating for himself at all. Mm. He he didn't take advantage of a public defender. He wasn't he wasn't advocating for himself at all. And I just felt like he was going to die mm-hmm. if I didn't do something. Yeah, I got David Sheff's book clean, mm-hmm. and I read it in about a day and a half. In that book, at the beginning, there were all these stories about all these kids. And each story I'm reading, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like Jonah. He did this. He did that. We did this. We did that. And then at the end, the kid overdosed and died. Mm. And so I was like, oh, no, like, I need to get on a plane. I need to go to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. But it's I just got, what a mom does. I got to yeah. go to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I packed my bag. I got on the flight. I did hire a lawyer. Mm-hmm. The lawyer told me that if I was able to find a bed for him, yes. that he might be able to get the judge to convince him mm-hmm. to allow allow him to go to rehab. So I was trying to make phone calls to find a rehab, 
but nobody calls you back when your kid's in jail and they're on suicide watch. Mm. So none of the rehabs were calling me back. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was going to go to Pennsylvania and, and show up in person and ask them if they would give my son a bed. My sister texted me on the way to Pennsylvania and she said, my neighbor is a psychiatrist. Her son went to rehab in Pennsylvania. I think it's near to where you're going. Look up Karen Treatment Center. So I did, and I found out it's one of the top 10 rehab places in the country. And so when I got off the plane in Philadelphia, I drove to Karen, and I walked in, and I had a picture of my son. <laughs> I was there in the admissions office for four hours pleading with them to give my son a bed. After four hours, the director of the young adult male program came in, and said, okay, let's go get him. Mm. I was like, well, what do you mean let's go get him? Like, he's yeah. in jail. How can yeah. we just go get him? And he was like, yeah, would you just don't worry? I was like, okay. Yeah. So then I, I drove from the rehab to the courthouse, and I walked around the courthouse and prayed. Mm. And then I went to my hotel and prayed all night and got up in the morning and prayed. And then I woke up the next morning, and I opened up to, I don't know, Psalm 37 or something that said, when the righteous is brought to trial, they will not be condemned. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh my God, does this mean something? Yes. And at the trial, the judge was a woman. Mm. She dropped all the charges and said that he could go to rehab. Wow. Praise the Lord. So praise, it just, ah. it just, it was, it was. It was the Lord. It was, was the Lord. All he over just it. opened everything up. He yeah. just rolled out the red carpet. Yeah. And um, when... My son got in the car. Mm -hmm. He just, he was an avalanche of tears. Mm -hmm. And he gave to me this letter that he had written on toilet tissue wrapper, which must be the only piece of paper he could have mm -hmm. found in jail. But it was all about how he knew that I had been trying to reach out to him for years and that he was drowning mm. and that he just couldn't Stop. come up. Yeah. Wow. You know, sitting where I've sit for such a long time, sometimes it has to be these moments that feel like we're off a cliff, and you are. And you are, yeah. But God scoops you up before you hit that. He scoops you up in that moment. He truly does. And it sounds like that's what He did for your son. That's exactly what He did. Wow. So how many years has Jonah been clean now? So he celebrated three years Wow! in July. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And how's, tell us about him now. He's selling insurance. Okay. When he was a kid, he was a Wall Street guru and did all this investments online yeah. and loves like the stock market and financial trading mm -hmm. and stuff. So he studied for the Series 65 exam and he's just, he's just pursuing his passion with... Yeah. Managing money and financial investments. Yeah. And yeah. So does he live nearby or is he still? He lives in Palm Harbor. Okay. So he's nearby. He's nearby. So he's right here with mom. And yes, that is so great. Okay. So to move to the next chapter of your story. So you've gone through where when your, your son was younger and he was doing better 
And then come to find out when he's older, he wasn't. Right. So he's three years sober. And then you were asking the Lord how to share this story, how to share. What was your exact prayer? So through my son's recovery, it was a lot. He was five months in rehab, Mm -hmm. some of it residential, some of it outpatient. Mm -hmm. And then I was going to therapy, Naranon, group Mm -hmm. meetings. It really was a whole family affair Mm -hmm. as far as our healing process went. And I felt like during that period, God unraveled me. Mm -hmm. He showed me how things that I had believed and the ways that I had been living were hurtful to me. Hmm. And He showed me a better way to live. And I felt like I was watching my son have a brand new life, mm-hmm. but I had a brand new life too. Mm. Like it really, it really mm-hmm. changed me. Mm-hmm. It really changed me. Mm. I know that there's, there's a stigma out there about drug addiction and families with drug addiction, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. I just love what we've learned. I love who we've become. Mm-hmm. It really, it strengthened my faith. It mm-hmm. showed me a good, miraculous God. Mm-hmm. And so I was praying for God to use me. I was really expecting it to be an explosion in jewelry sales mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or something fabulous yes. like that. Yeah. But on October 7th, I had a brain aneurysm rupture mm. in my bathroom. Sarah. So yeah. October 7th of what year? Last year. Last year? Yeah. 2019? Yeah. Like you're coming up on the one-year anniversary yeah. at the yeah. recording of this? Yeah. Sarah. Yeah. Okay, so take us to your bathroom that day. So I had gotten up that morning. I went and swam laps. I had prayed. I had journaled. I was on fire, and I was in the shower, and it felt like saying there's a migraine really doesn't explain it. It feels like somebody— maybe winds up with a board and hits you in the back of the head. That's what it felt like. Just all of a sudden, it was the most excruciating headache. I started to throw up, Mm. and then the pain from throwing up made the headache worse, and then the headache made the vomiting worse, and then I started to lose my vision, and I felt like something was trying to kill me. Wow. I was was praying, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and the devil would flee, Mm -hmm. and it would like— the pain would lessen just the tiniest amount. Mm-hmm. I had my phone in the bathroom because I was going to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I would pray, you know, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and the devil would flee. And it would reduce just a tiny bit. And I got to my phone and I called my husband and I said, I think I just had a brain aneurysm. You need to come home. And he was like, okay, I'll be there in a second. But she wasn't a second because he lives in Brand. Or he works in Brandon. Brandon, oh my word. So it took him 40 minutes yeah. to get home. And then when he got home, I had been in the shower. So I was on the floor. I was naked. I was rolling in vomit. Mm. I just, I couldn't really speak. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been able to tell him about Mm -hmm. the headache and Mm -hmm. the loss of vision and all Mm -hmm. that. So he thought I had food poisoning. Mm. So he said, well, let's just clean you up Mm -hmm. because if I take you to the hospital, you might have to wait for a while. Yeah. And I didn't want to vomit in front Mm -hmm. of people and Mm -hmm. I wasn't dressed. Mm. So poor thing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I just got into Uh, bed. Yes. And then Uh. he and my daughter took care of themselves Mm -hmm. for the week. So you didn't go seek medical treatment? No. So I laid in bed and hemorrhaged for a week. A week? A week. Oh, wow. And on Friday, 
I had an appointment with my chiropractor and my husband drove me and the chiropractor looked at me and said, I'm not touching you. You look like you have a brain in your, no, you look like, you look like you have meningitis. Go to the ER. Mm. So I went to the ER. They did a CT scan. They saw the aneurysm. They saw the blood on the brain. They just put me in an ambulance. They sent me to Morton Plant. They got me right into surgery. And then I spent three weeks in the CCICU. So you laid in your bed for a week, yeah, having had an aneurysm and had no idea. Yeah. Well, like, I was just so weak. You're so weak. So were you in and out, just sleeping in and out? Were you conscious? I mean, of course I, you were conscious. I was conscious. I would actually stay in bed all day, and then I would go get my daughter at school. That same week? In the afternoon. And then I'd come back and go back to bed. So was there a, what did the doctors <laughs> say about that? Like, were they, how uh, were you able to function? You know what? By the time I got to the hospital and yeah. to the doctors, there was no more conversation about anything. anything. And then there was a couple weeks, like, I don't have you any don't, memory. Wow. So you truly are a walking miracle. Yeah. My, wow. the neurosurgeon that saved my life, yeah. he used to come and see me every day in the CCICU. Mm-hmm. And he would kind of lean against the wall and cross his arms and say, people don't live through what you live through. Sarah. They don't, they don't wow. live. Wow. Wow. I mean, he, <laughs> he had all the, the percentages yeah. and I don't remember what they are, yeah. but he said like, 10% of the people who have aneurysms make it to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then out of that 10%, you know, like 80% don't make it. Yeah. And the, did you end up having two aneurysms? Yeah. So okay. so what happened was, so I was at Morton Plant in the CCICU for three weeks. The problem was I had hemorrhage for so many days. I had blood on the brain mm-hmm. and blood on brain tissue kills it. Ugh. So they were watching me for stroke. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were watching like vasospasms. Mm-hmm. There's a 21-day period where it's very critical and dangerous mm-hmm. um, to have blood on the brain. I had an army of women praying for me. I had uh, people from Calvary Christian Church coming in and mm-hmm. praying for me. Mm-hmm. And I just started getting better and better and better. When I left the hospital, I was walking and talking. They called me a walkie-talkie. I walked out of the hospital by myself. I thought when I got home that everything was going to be all good, Mm -hmm. but it was a a long, hard, slow recovery at home. Yeah. And I learned a lot in that time, too. Take me to that time. Like, you've walked through what you've walked through, you know, personally— being a single mom, your son being in jail and going through recovery. And then you've had an aneurysm, you're home mm-hmm. and you're recovering. Mm-hmm. You were stripped down, truly. I mean, your oh, yeah. life has stripped you. Oh, yes. In those moments, what do you have to know? What do you cling to, white knuckled? Because I think we all, as believers, we believe what the Bible says, we believe in our faith. But then when you're standing there stripped bare of everything and you get to those moments where it's like, I gotta believe this. I got. I mean, I. I. This has to be true. I think about Stephen Curtis Chapman when his little girl Maria yeah. passed away, and we went to the memorial service, and I was hugging him in the line, and he was like, "Carmen, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. It's got to be true." What do you have to know in those moments? What's the dialogue that you have going on in your head with the Lord? It's just like, "Lord, be near, be near, be near," or "You are sufficient." What do you have to know in those moments about God? I wish I could say that I have some kind of go-to that makes me strong. But really, in all my instances so far, the thing that has saved me has been breaking. Hmm. 
I was home. I was in recovery. I really couldn't do much for myself. Like I couldn't read. Mm -hmm. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't really have a thought without it hurting. Mm. I still had what they call a neuro headache. It's just a tremendous headache. I had nausea. I was afraid that it was going to happen again. It was everything that I could do, like to get out of bed and eat breakfast. Mm. So I was in the same clothes. I wasn't taking a shower. I wasn't doing anything for my family. I couldn't do anything for myself. But I could still judge myself, Mm -hmm. and I could still... I still felt like, I felt like a loser. Mm. I felt like a loser and I felt like there was no purpose or point to my life if I couldn't do anything for anybody and I was just going to be like this burden staring out the window. And that's when I was scrolling through Instagram Mm. and some post came up and it said, you know, it's not who you are or what you believe or what you do that saves you, it's your faith. Mm. And so I was like, oh, I think that God was trying to show me that he was there Mm -hmm. and to rely on him. Mm -hmm. A little later on, I was able to read. My friend sent me the book, Goliath Must Fall. Yes, Louis Giglio. Yeah, and so I was reading the part about Paul and his thorn. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I had been going through. Mm -hmm. Why, God? Why did Mm -hmm. this happen to me? And I'm trying to do something good for you. And why, why would you do this to me? And why would you strip me of this? And so I read this part about how God didn't give Paul the thorn to punish him. God gave him the thorn to show him that he had access to a greater and deeper power. Mm. I can remember thinking to myself— What if that's true? What if I have access to a greater and deeper power and God is using this to teach me? Hmm. Because I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't take a shower. I couldn't comb my hair. I couldn't. And so I decided at that moment that I was going to trust Jesus the way that David trusted Jesus when he slayed Goliath. And that if Jesus healed me, I was going to tell everybody about it. Hmm. And he's done it. And he's done it. <laughs> he's totally done it. <laughs> so you had your second. You had a second aneurysm. So I, I'm moving right along. You know, yeah. I was getting better and better and better. I was going to a place called Brain Fitness. Okay, doing like brain puzzles, and then my doctor there told me that exercise was the single most important thing that I could do for my brain health. Hmm. So I was exercising every day. I was doing these brain puzzles. I was really increasing my working memory. You know, my personality was back. I was working again. I was feeling like I was all healed. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back for an angiogram with my neurosurgeon so that he could just check on the repair that he did and make sure that it was good. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. The aneurysm had grown back. It was bigger than it was the first time. And he said that he would have to do surgery again, that it would have that it would be more complicated, and that I would have to be on blood thinners for a week before he could get in there and do it. Mm. I left there knowing that I had this big bulging aneurysm that had ruptured once before and how hard it was to fight through what I had fought through, knowing that I shouldn't have lived the first time. You know, it was a medical impossibility that I had lived the first time. And so for a week, I just sat with that, that this could be the end of mm-hmm. me. Like it could, I could be done. And emotions all over the place. 
You want to trust in one moment, you're sad the next moment. You know, surprisingly, I never I never understood when I heard other people say things like this, mm-hmm. but I wasn't afraid. Wow. I wasn't so afraid. So the Holy Spirit was at work in you. I, I mean, wasn't afraid. Was doing, yeah. I, I thought about, okay, like, what would I do if I only had a week mm-hmm. left? Where would I go? And what what is it that I haven't done that mm-hmm. I would like to do? And how would I want to spend these last days if they mm-hmm. were my last days? Mm-hmm. And when I look back over my life and look back at my family now— mm-hmm. I realized that I have done what I wanted to do, and I'm living the way that I want to live. I said a couple goodbyes Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure that I was going to make it. But I I full well trusted that whichever way it went, that God was going to take care of me, that Mm. I was going to be okay. So you had surgery? The surgery got postponed. Mm. Okay, so I had fasted, not had any food or water since the day before. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. My surgeon comes in to tell me that I'm up next. And I'm like, you know, are you sure you don't want to wait until like tomorrow morning, maybe when you're fresh? Because <laughs> it's a little late now. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, um, he goes, I've had a lot of training. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be okay. The first problem is, you know, we got to get the stent in there. We got to get it to open. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I can't make any guarantees, but I'm going to do my best. And so I told him, I said, you have got about 100 people praying for you right now. It's it's going to be fine. Mm. And he just, he bent down over me. He touched my leg. He smiled. And he said, I could use the prayers. Mm. It's like, that's good. So I go into surgery. I wake up afterwards. It's dark. I'm in recovery. And I woke up, and the first thought was, am I okay? I think I'm okay. I'm like, did I have a stroke? I don't think I had a stroke. <laughs> and so I looked over at the nurse. I'm like, yeah. did I go? Is it done? And and he's like, yeah, you're all done. And in fact, the surgeon just called your husband and said it was easier than he thought it was going to be. Wow. And you did great. Wow. They brought me up to the CCICU, and I was so psyched and stoked. Mm-hmm. I just I just stayed awake all night long, like praising mm. Jesus. Wow. So when was the second surgery? So the second surgery was in May. This Just this past May? Yeah. Lord have mercy. So yeah. COVID is like, COVID is just... Yeah, COVID's a piece of cake. <laughs> Seriously, and that's not to minimize for you, those of you who may be listening. And I know that people have lost their lives to COVID, right. so we're not minimizing that. Right. But when you're walking through two aneurysms, right. you're like, huh, if this hasn't taken me. So yeah. that was in May. Yeah. And my surgeon said to me, you shouldn't have lived through the first one. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have grown back. Mm. You're rare. Wow. So since you're rare, we're going to check you again in three months. Mm -hmm. So just a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. I went back. It looks perfect. It looks absolutely perfect. Oh, my goodness. He said that it looks phenomenal. It's the best it could possibly be. So I, I have a new mind. I have a new brain. I have a new artery. Wow. I just feel like brand new. I wow. feel a brand new person. Mm. I just think, I feel like God has used this aneurysm business mm-hmm. to just completely change me. Wow. Going back to talk about Stephen Curtis Chapman again, he says, you know, we've been to the bottom and found it to be solid. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's that's the banner over your life as well. You've been to the bottom. I have been to the bottom. And found it to be solid. And that bottom has dropped out a couple times and taken mm-hmm. me deeper yeah. to a deeper, farther bottom. But God's always there. He's met you there. He's always there. Mm. So if you were to get on an elevator yep. with someone who doesn't know Jesus and you had your elevator pitch, what do you want people to know about 
our gracious Heavenly Father, what would you say to them? There's the scripture in Isaiah mm-hmm. where the Lord says, who can I send and who will go for us? Mm-hmm. And then I said, here I am, send me. Mm-hmm. I am the unlikeliest mm-hmm. of people. I'm the one who used to laugh at the Jesus freaks. Mm-hmm. And I, all I want to do now is just, just talk people. about it and I tell people. It. And it's you don't need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. He is there, and He just wants you to come home. Yeah. He's our everything. He's our everything. He's sufficient. You know, even with the climate that we're going through, just politically and just culturally, I tell people all the time, our problems are so knotted up. Yeah. He's the only one that can unknot them. They're so big that it's only Him. What you've walked through in your life— it is only by the grace of God that oh, you're know. still sitting oh, I here. I know. And I just think that I just see it. I wish this is where I wish people could see you physically because you're radiant. You're absolutely radiant. I mean, Jesus is in you. And I think what I hear you saying is the person that used to follow Christ just unabandonedly, I'm here. I'm all about it. You've become that person. Yes. And you wouldn't live any other way now. No, uh-uh. You would not live no. any other way. No. I mean, I see it. I see it on you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, thank you. So are you still doing the pearl business? I am still, you are? I am okay. still doing the pearls. Okay, yes. we're going to post about it in the show notes. Yes, so I have a I feeling am. you've got some business coming. Thank you. But just thank you for trusting the Lord. I think it's one thing to say that you trust the Lord, but then when you have to walk the road that you've had to walk, you don't have a choice but to trust Him. It's yeah. not just lip service anymore. It's much easier to trust Him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're not going through something shameful or yeah. something that just and that's you know, just a like lie. cuts your legs yeah. out from under you, and that's just a lie of the enemy. I mean, it is. addiction it comes after everybody. It's super close to my family as well. Shame is totally from Satan. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. It's so nice to see you, and thank you for sharing. I know that your story is going to encourage a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Sarah's story. Is she inspiring or what? If you would like to subscribe, I'd really appreciate that. Or maybe this episode you feel like would encourage someone, please share it with a friend. Also, if you go to the show notes, all of the links are there. You can see Sarah's website and she has beautiful pearls. So make sure you check that out as well. And again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Off Air with Carmen.